The Bradford Exchange presents The Classic Radio Theater with your host, Carl Amari. Countdown for blast off. X minus one. Yes, it's Maxwell House Coffee Time, starring George Burns and Gracie Allen. Richard Diamond, private detective. The Johnson Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. Suspense. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Dragnet. We offer you escape. Kraft presents the Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. The Jack Benny Program. Welcome, everyone, to episode 87 of the Classic Radio Theater. Each week, the Bradford Exchange and participating sponsors bring you three hours of the Classic Radio Theater, featuring programming from the golden age of radio. This time, we'll hear two half-hour comedy episodes of The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald and Benita Coleman. Stick around, we'll be right back. Created by Don Quinn, the co-creator of Fibber McGee and Molly, The Halls of Ivy was a situation comedy series that ran on NBC Radio from 1950 through 1952. Originally slated to star Gail Gordon and Edna Best, the lead roles went to British husband and wife actors Ronald and Benita Coleman. The Colemans were well-versed at comedy and already a hit with radio fans, having played Jack Benny's next-door neighbors on the Jack Benny program for years. On the Halls of Ivy, Ronald Coleman played William Todd Hunter Hall, the urbane president of small rural Ivy College. Benita played his wife Victoria, a former British musical comedy star. The series chronicled their interactions with students, friends, and college trustees. Others in the cast were Herb Butterfield as testy board chairman Clarence Wellman, Willard Waterman then starring in The Great Gildersleeve as board member John Merriweather, and Alan Reed, television's Fred Flintstone, as stuffy English teacher Professor Heeslip. B. Benaderet, Gloria Gordon, Virginia Gregg, Lee Patrick, Gene Vanderpile, television's Wilma Flintstone, Sam Edwards, Arthur Q. Bryant, the voice of Elmer Fudd, Barton Yarborough, and Jerry Hausner appeared in supporting roles. The sponsor was the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Nat Wolf produced and directed, and Ken Carpenter was the announcer. The Halls of Ivy received a Peabody Award in 1950 and made a transition to CBS television in 1954, bowing out in 1955. Time now for the first of two comedy episodes of The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald and Bonita Coleman. In this first one, 15-year-old genius Merton Savada is in love with Mrs. Hall. Here's The Halls of Ivy, from March 3rd, 1950. Ladies and gentlemen, the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. If you like good beer, you'll find it pays to be curious and learn about Schlitz for yourself. And now, the Halls of Ivy. 
that surround us here today, and we will not forget, though we be far, far away. Welcome again to Ivy. Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA. Spring came to Ivy a few days ago, and in spring, as we all know, a young man's fancy lightly turns to thoughts of love, just as it does in summer and autumn and in winter. Sometimes it doesn't turn lightly at all, but with a resounding crash, and as in many crashes, it's the innocent bystanders who are most shaken up. No bystanders are more innocent this evening than Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall, Ivy's president, and his wife, the former Victoria Cromwell of the English stage. It's shortly after dinner, and Dr. Hall is in his study. Mrs. Hall enters and says... Was that you making all that racket just now, Toddy, darling? Uh, yes, I was feeling a bit chilly and thought I'd build a fire. Oh, well, why didn't you? Well, having cleaned out the ashes, broken up a crate for kindling, and carried in three huge lugs, I don't feel chilly anymore, just overheated. <laughs> uh, but don't go yet, Vicky. I've got a problem. What is it? Well, I've arranged all the papers on my desk neatly, sharpened all the pencils I could find, changed the ribbon in my typewriter, and cleaned the keys. Now, what else can I do to put off the moment when I have to go to work? Oh, Toddy, now please buckle down to it. Otherwise, you'll be up half the night, and it isn't good for you. <laughs> all right, my dear. Very well. Here I go. Hooray, an interruption. I, I, I mean, isn't that just too bad? I'm about to... Hello, Dr. Hall speaking. Who? Oh, no, not at all, Brooks. What is it? Yes, of course you may come over. Where are you now? In a few minutes, then. Goodbye. Who was it? Young Brooks. Sounded very upset. Isn't it Professor Quinn Cannon's job to attend to students who sound very upset? Well, it's little enough for me to do for Ivy's star athletes. But speaking of Professor Quinn Cannon, we had lunch together today, and he reminded me that it is March. And time for us to prepare for our annual kite-flying competition. Won't you come out and watch us? Well, of course I'll come. But isn't this annual kiting contest among the Ivy faculty a bit uh, juvenile? Oh, tradition, my dear. As an Englishwoman, you should know about that. England is full of delightful traditions. For example, in the year 1043, an archer stumbled. Let loose a shaft which took the king's chamberlain's prize pig in the left flank... And every year on March the umpteenth, a fast courier rides from Wolverhampton to Windsor Castle with a broken bowstring and a flitch of bacon. <laughs> <laughs> that sort of thing. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Like celebrating your American Independence Day by shooting off Chinese fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you know, Professor Quinn Cannon is still convinced he beat me last year because I didn't use the correct amount of string. Oh. Yes, you used too little, didn't you? Well, not at all. 900 feet to every 10 square feet of lifting surface. It's a mere matter of correlating the aerodynamic factors with the weight and tensile strength of the string. I worked it out mathematically. You certainly did. Toddy, when Brooks comes, you will make an effort to keep it short and get to work as soon as you can, now, won't you? Oh, as I promised. But, but it's important that I see him. Between now and the Easter recess, when the students get a chance to blow off steam, is the most difficult period of the school year. I must do what I can to ease the strain wherever it appears. I... Yes, what is it, Penny? Excuse me, sir, but you asked me to look for your kite. Oh, yes. You found it? Yes, sir. It's in the attic. Is it in good condition? 
Oh, yes, good as new, except in some respects. I used the cloth for cleaning rags last summer, sir. Oh, oh well, that can be replaced, as long as the rest of it's all right. Oh, it is, except for the frame. I had a need of kindling for the fire last week. <laughs> oh, no. Well, the rest of it is just as you left it. What rest of it? The tail, sir. <laughs> Oh, excuse me, the doorbell. Yeah, if it's a Mr. Brooks, Penny, send him in. Yes, Mum. Don't be upset, Toddy. Penny wasn't deliberately destructive. No, she's quite impersonal about it, but so, so is an earthquake. And the consequences are just as devastating. However, if I remember correctly, I have another old kite in the cellar somewhere. And I... Oh, come in, Brooks, come in. Thank you, sir. Good evening, Mrs. Hall. Good evening. Hope I'm not interrupting something. No, 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 no. We were discussing nothing more important than kite flying. Oh, yes. I remember watching you and Professor Quinn Cannon on the commons last year. He, um, outflew you, didn't he? Well, yes, it so happened that I... If I may suggest, sir, try using a little more string this year. Thank you. But I've, uh... I've taken the trouble to work it out mathematically. William, may I remind you that there's a desk full of work waiting for you? Oh, yes, yes. Well, what can I do for you, Brooks? Would you prefer to speak to Dr. Hall alone? Oh, no, ma'am. I, I haven't come to talk about myself. It's about my roommate, Merton Savada. Oh, yes. You remember Savada, Victoria, the child prodigy? Oh, of course. Now, has some friction developed between Savada and you, Brooks? Oh, no, sir. Not at all. As a matter of fact, I think he likes me very much. I know darn well I like him. He's an awfully good kid, sir. I rather thought putting you two together was a good idea. You know, it seemed like a natural combination, considering your experience as a counselor in boys' summer camps and his extreme youth. How old is he, by the way? Fifteen? Yes, sir. And working uh, for his M.A. in physics. Yes. Uh, well, is, uh, is Savada in some difficulty? Yes, sir. I didn't realize it at first. He's such a funny combination of grown-up man and little boy that he takes a lot of figuring out. But he's been acting so strangely the last couple of days... In what way? Cutting classes, something he never did before. And sitting up, writing almost every night, all night. Writing? Writing what? You wouldn't say. And he'd lock everything away in his trunk when he was finished. Well, now, that's very selfish of him, wasn't it? Who does he think he is to want a little privacy? Oh, no. <laughs> Mrs. Hall, I, I wasn't trying to be snoopy. But I'm worried about the kid. He's, he's in a tailspin, and I want to snap him out of it. Well, I think that's very commendable, Brooks. That's what roommates are for, to take turns acting as lifeguard when the other member goes off the deep end. Well, anyway, this morning I found this stuff in his wastebasket. Here. No, 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 no. Thank you. I'd rather not read it, Brooks. Not being his roommate myself, I must respect his privacy. Just tell me, in general, what it is. Poetry. Oh. Love poetry. It's sickening stuff. Oh, you men. Well, I've known a lot of boys who wrote poetry. Some of it to me, too, if I do say so myself. And very few of them got fitted for straight jackets. And leave the boy alone. He'll recover. Well, that's the point, Mrs. Hall. He'll recover too late. I found him packing his trunk when I got back from dinner. He is leaving school. I'm afraid some little bobby socks has been giving him a rough time. Oh, good heavens. Well, I think it's beautiful. It's tragic, but it's beautiful. I don't know, Victoria... I can only see the tragedy. No schoolboy romance should require such a drastic solution. This takes it out of the comic Valentine class and makes it a serious emotional problem. Where's the boy going, Brooks? His parents are in um, uh, New Zealand, aren't they? Yes, sir. He hasn't seen them for two years. His father's attached to the American embassy there. 
But I think he has an aunt and uncle living in Washington. Excuse me, sir. There's a Merton Savarder here to see you. Oh, well, I, um, I suppose you'd better show him in. Is there any way I can get out through the rear of the house? I don't want the kid to think I've been going behind his back. I mean, especially since I have been going behind his back. <laughs> well, I'll show it to you. Goodbye, sir, and thank you. Uh, goodbye. Uh, don't worry about Savada. Trust me. I do, sir. Mr. Savada, sir. Uh, thank you. Good evening, Savada. Good evening. This is an unexpected pleasure. Please sit down. Thank you. I'll be brief, sir. And then I'll ask a favor, if I may. Of course. Feel perfectly at home. I do feel at home. After all, we're both men of the world. <laughs> uh, quite so. I'm leaving Ivy, sir, tonight. Oh? The curriculum is not satisfactory? Perfectly. You realize, sir, that I took my A.B. at Columbia last year. Yes. And in one more year, I'd have my master's degree here at Ivy. It's got nothing to do with the school, I assure you. It's just that I'm in an emotional situation that cannot be resolved. Une affaire de coeur. A matter of the heart. I, um... I, I understand French, uh, Savada. I want you to know that I respect your feeling and your resolve. But that I don't think you ought to consider leaving your studies until you've explored every other possibility. Including the advice, the asking of advice from an older man. Won't you tell me about it and see if I can help? Well, I'm in love for the first time in my life. <laughs> Never even considered it before. Career first. Everything else second was the way I saw it. Ha! Huh. Doesn't the, uh, doesn't the lady return your love? She doesn't even know I exist. You never told her how you felt? No, sir. It wouldn't help. You see, she loves another man. You can't be certain of that, you know, until you ask her. I never thought of that. Ask her, my boy, ask her. But what about the other man? You'll have to take his <laughs> chance, just as you do. You're very wise, sir. Oh, no, no, not at all. Now, now then, would you care to tell me who she is? Your wife, sir. Would you, uh, would you mind repeating that? Your wife, sir. And that brings me to the favor I want to ask. Before leaving, have I your permission to speak to her? My wife? Mine? I can understand this comes as a shock to you, and that you naturally wish to discuss this with her before I see her. With your permission, sir, I'll withdraw for a half hour or so and speak to her when I return. Good evening, sir. Thank you. Vicky! Vicky, where are you? Vicky! Vicky! I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman will be back in a moment. Right now, there's just time for you to hear how one man tumbled onto something very interesting. My friend Jim is always saying, you haven't lived till you've been on skis. Well, I'm inclined to look at it the other way around. 
Staying alive had always come to me easy, until the day I let Jim talk me into a pair of skis and send me plummeting downhill with no visible means of support. You'll love it, were his parting words. But there again we disagreed. Halfway down the hill, I met a sapling, thus ending my short, unhappy career as a skier. I limped back to the lodge where the doctor said it was only a sprain. However, Jim blamed himself for my downfall and kept clucking over me like a mother hen, bringing me pillows, magazines, and uh, several bottles of Schlitz beer. I'd never tasted Schlitz before, but the good things I've heard about it had me smacking my lips before I tried it. My first swallow told me that here was a beer that more than lived up to its advance notices. Here was a beer so fine, not even a radio announcer's best adjectives could do justice to its flavor. Yes, getting acquainted with Schlitz was more than worth the few bruises that brought it about. No wonder they call Schlitz... The beer that made Milwaukee famous. As we return to the halls of Ivy, where a triangle has developed on the quadrangle. We find Dr. Hall torn between amusement and concern, as he says. Have you any idea of what you're going to say, Victoria? Are you going to carry it off? Not the slightest, William. Well, I suppose I could say, I'm sorry, Merton, I'm already bespoke. But uh, I'd like you to think of me as your sister. That's a little weighty, isn't it? The word is corny, Victoria. Help me, Toddy. Well, <clears throat> First you say, how do you do? Then you, you say something about the weather. Then after that, you just uh, improvise. Now, why couldn't I have thought of that? <laughs> oh, my dear, I, I'm certain you'll handle it very well. You've met situations just as difficult with tact and dexterity. Name one. Um, well, the, the, the faculty tea, for instance. A few days after I first brought you to Ivy... You told me you'd never been so fearful in your life. Oh, I remember. Oh, Toddy, I was so afraid they wouldn't like me. I thought to myself, one look at me in Toddy's career suffers a 30 or 40 year setback. <laughs> An actress in these sedate surroundings. And a musical comedy actress at that. Well, I don't mind telling you now, after so many years, that it was a crucial moment in my life, too. Will you ever forget that short walk from our house to the faculty club? It was an evening in May, as I recall, and you seemed perfectly all right. Until we closed our front door behind us, and then... What is it, Vicky? Why have you stopped? Oh, please. Let's go back into the house. I, I simply can't face all those strangers. They're not strangers, darling. I've known some of them a dozen years. Well, I've hardly been here a week, and I've never seen any of them before in my life. Please, Toddy, we... We can telephone. We can make some excuse. Oh, no, darling. It's going it's to be good. dreadful. There'll be a murmur of conversation until I appear, and then it will die away as that battery of eyes converges on me. Toddy, I, I, I just can't go in there and open cold. No, 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 no. Look, how would you like me to go in first? Doing a buck and wing. I can be singing, hello, hello, there's going to be a show. 
that that might warm them up. Don't laugh at me. Not, not when I'm feeling so inadequate. Ah, you've no reason to. They'll all adore you. You'll be the loveliest woman present. I can imagine how much the wives of the faculty members will adore the loveliest woman present. Yeah. Holly, let's go back. Well, at least let me change my gown. But it's a beautiful gown. Yeah, but it's too beautiful. Let me change to something simpler. But uh, Rogan's, a pair of overalls, perhaps. <laughs> I just don't want to be resented. I'm, I'm the strange bird in the barnyard, and I don't want to be pecked at. Vicky, you're not going to be pecked at. You are impeccable. Ho, ho, ho. <laughs> no, 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 darling. You're going in wearing that gown and everyone will gasp with admiration and I'll be the proudest man there. Sailor, I have spoken. Now, give me your hand. I feel as though I were on my way to the gallows and I didn't even have time to eat a hearty meal. And I've forgotten everything you've told me about who's who. Well, the, the head of my department is Dean Gurney. He resembles a bilious pigeon. Oh, yes, you told me. I remember I associated his name with crusts of bread yes. because one does feed pigeons crusts of bread, doesn't one? That's right. You yes. thank heaven I'm certain about one thing. One does feed pigeons crusts of bread. How do you do, Dean Gurney? Do have a crust of bread. No, no, no. no. <laughs> merely, merely associating. And then I shall say to him, please introduce me to your wife. I've heard so much about her. No, 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 I wouldn't, darling. Inasmuch as she left him to marry a prize fighter, I feel it would strike rather a dinny. <laughs> I told you, don't you remember? No. Oh, Toddy, I don't remember anything. Not anything at all. What shall I do? Vicky, I love you. One unkind word or glance directed at you, and I shall ask the entire faculty to step outside en masse. And remember this, my darling. No appointment, no job, is worth more to me than the smile on your face, the happiness in your heart. And above all, the gay and gallant spirit that is Vicky. Darling, thank you for buckling on my armor. Well, we're in for it now, darling. I've rung the doorbell. Now, just remember that faculty wives are merely... Sorry, darling, that's our doorbell, and you didn't ring it. I didn't? You mean you did? Ah, brave girl. Now you're getting yourself in hand. No, 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 <laughs> no, Toddy. That's our doorbell. Come on home, dear. Home? Well, then what is... Oh! Our doorbell. <laughs> oh, well, um, yes, well, well, Penny will answer it. I, I'm sorry if I was being absent-minded again. That's all right, Toddy. But next time, don't squeeze my arm quite so hard. Mr. Savada will think you've been beating me. Savada? Oh, yes, good heavens, I must get out of here. It'll be less embarrassing for him if he doesn't see me. Oh, Toddy, please don't go. Get me out of this. If you trust me, Victoria, I'll think of something. I hope. Somebody's got to think of something. Mr. Savada, mum. Yes, thank you, Penny. Well, come along in, Mr. Savada. Won't you sit down? Thank you. It's um, lovely weather, isn't it? Uh... May I improvise you the... Uh, I mean, may, may I get you some uh, milk and cookies? I'm not a child. I'm sorry. Please don't be sorry. I wouldn't hurt you for anything in the world. Well, thank you. You're very gallant. I've been told you're leaving school. Why? I think it best. Staying here near you is... Well, I'm not made of marble, you know. <laughs> 
if I thought there was even a remote possibility. But there isn't, is there? Well, I think not. Uh, aside from every other consideration, I happen to love my husband deeply. I don't see how you can. <laughs> you don't? No. Why, he's old enough to be my father. <laughs> uh, how old do you suppose I am? Just the right age. Victoria. I may call you Victoria, may I not? Yeah, please do. Victoria, what does he have that I haven't got? I'll match my IQ against his any time. Well, it, it, it's, uh, it's not a question of intelligence, Merton. Maybe you think I couldn't support you. I have assets. I'm writing a book. And I could sell my butterfly collection. And I get a regular weekly allowance. No, wait, and... it isn't that at all. Believe me. I know, we all know, how capable you are and what a fine career you're certain to have. Do you think he's handsomer than I am? Because I can promise you that someday I'll be just as distinguished at the temples as he is. Runs in the family. Yes, <laughs> I'm sure of it. I consider you an extremely presentable young man. And I know that someday you'll meet the right girl and be very happy. And then I hope... Then there's nothing I can say that will make you reconsider. Merton, tell me. What did you imagine a relationship with me would be like? I know what it would be like. I've thought of it a million times. Tell me. Well, you'd always be around. And you'd wave to me when I left for school in the morning. And we'd go to theaters and concerts together. And I'd tell you things and you'd tell me things. And it would be so... so wonderful. Hmm. I think I'm beginning to understand. Are you really? Yes. Merton, tell me something. But look deeply into your heart and reflect a moment before answering. I will. Is it really a sweetheart you want? Isn't it really a mother? <laughs> ah, there. Come on now. That's it. You're all right. Come over here. Take my handkerchief. Give me your hand. Oh, Mrs. Hall. Mrs. Hall. Yes, I, I know how it is. Merton, believe me, I do. Well, I used to cry myself to sleep for a mother I never knew. I lost mine when I was still a baby. Now, at least you have a mother. Yes. I guess that's right. I suppose it's childish to be so... so lonely. No, it isn't childish at all. Well, I think one has to be pretty self-centered not to be lonely. But now, now that you realize that it is just well, loneliness... Well, Victoria, but... and how did... Oh, oh, well, excuse me. Um, hello, Savada. Hello, Dr. Hall. I... Well, the reason I was holding your wife's hand, doctor, is... No, that... no, 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 please, please. That, that, uh... <laughs> that requires no explanation, Savada. The impulse to hold my wife's hand is practically universal. <laughs> <clears throat> and I didn't mean to intrude. I just came in here to, uh... What did I come in here for? Oh, yes, yes, I was mending a kite and I wanted some string from the desk drawer. Some, some kite string. It was in this desk, I... I, I'm sorry if I seem to be babbling. William, but... there are miles of string in the kitchen. Ask Penny. Well, I won't require miles, darling. I'm not trying to break the record, whatever it is. It's 21,120 feet. What? The altitude record for kites. 21,120 feet. Oh. Established in November 1905 at the Prussian Aeronautical Observatory. 
Well, um, uh, thank you. Uh, are you uh, a kite flyer? No, kites are for children. Uh, really? <laughs> I, uh, I, I think you're wrong, Merton. Dr. Hall is certainly not a child, and he finds it most difficult at times to fly them. Probably uses the wrong amount of string. I do not use the wrong amount of string. I use approximately 900 feet to every 10 square feet of lifting surface. Too little by far from what I know of the theory. Well, indeed, let me tell you no, something. Will you, I, Merton, I, I... Now, please, now, may I suggest that instead of merely discussing it, you both go out to the fields tomorrow morning and there determine who is right and who is wrong. Well, now, that, that seems... Isn't he leaving school? Are you, Merton? I... I suppose I could put it off for a day. Which, uh, it may take weeks to settle this matter. What do you say, Merton? Can you put off leaving for more than one day? I... I guess so. I mean, yes, of course. We can go out together every Saturday morning. All three of us. Exactly. I think I'll stay. I'm delighted, Mr. Savada. Uh, confused, but delighted. <laughs> well, come along, dear, and sit down. Thank you. Um... I trust, Savada, you won't think me intrusive if I hold my wife's other hand. No, sir. Good. Now then, uh, are you acquainted with aerodynamics? Yes, sir. What kind of a kite do you fly? Flat or box? Flat. I like a... Try a box. What do you mean? What... I say that because theoretically four plane surfaces well, four versus plane a single surfaces plane, plane give you... surface gives you a lifting potential far greater yes, than... Yes, but against any... that you have added weight, as I've worked yeah, it out mathematically. The added you weight, Doctor, when you consider the applied theory... Yes, I know, my boy, but the theory of flight in heavier than aircraft presupposes a split kind of air. curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. And now here again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Well, I hope young Merton Savada will be all right now. Oh, yes, Toddy. He was just lonely and all alone bewept his outcast state. That's all very well, my dear, but you know Mr. Shakespeare really wrote that sonnet for lovers like you and me. Oh, I think of it often when, when in disgrace with fortune and men's eyes, I all alone beweep my outcast state and trouble deaf heaven with my bootless cries and look upon myself and curse my fate, wishing me like to one more rich in hope, featured like him, like him with friends possessed, desiring this man's art and that man's scope with what I most enjoy contented least. Yet in these thoughts, myself almost despising, haply I think on thee, and that's you, Vicky. And then my state, like to the lark at break of day arising from sullen earth, sings hymns at heaven's gate. For thy sweet love remembered, such wealth brings, that then I scorn to change my state with kings. Thank you, darling. Good night, everyone. Good night. We'll be seeing you next week at this time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. The other players were Henry Blair, Gloria Gordon, and Barney Phillips. Tonight's script was written by Walter Brown Newman and Don Quinn. Music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolf, and presented by the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Carpenter speaking. Oh, we love.
so by thee that surround us here today and we will not forget though we be far Now, here are we, the people, over most of these NBC stations. And that's The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald and Bonita Coleman, from March 3, 1950. Also in the cast, Gloria Gordon, Henry Blair, and Willard Waterman, sponsored by Schlitz Beer, as heard over NBC. All of the classic radio shows we present on this series are direct from the master recordings. I have more than 100,000 original radio episodes under license from the owners and estates, and we make them available via digital download or on CD through our Classic Radio Club. By joining the Classic Radio Club, you'll receive 10 superior-sounding classic radio shows sent directly to you each month along with detailed liner notes and photos of the stars. You'll receive your first 10 classic radio episodes for only $1, and you can cancel at any time. To learn more about the Classic Radio Club, log on to ClassicRadioClub.com. That's ClassicRadioClub.com. I'll have another comedy episode of The Halls of Ivy after this short break. Welcome back to the Classic Radio Theater. I'm your host, Carl Amari. This time, Mrs. Hall's old theatrical partner invites her to play the lead in a new Broadway production. Here's The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald and Bonita Coleman from March 10, 1950. The Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin presents The Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. good beer, you'll find it pays to be curious and learn about Schlitz for yourself. Now, The Halls of Ivy. Welcome again to Ivy. Ivy College, that is, in the town of Ivy, USA. It's a little past noon, and so far it's been an ordinary day. At the home of Ivy's president, Dr. William Todd Hunter Hall, and his wife, the former Victoria Cromwell of the English Theater, Dr. Hall is just entering the living room where he meets Penny, their maidservant, and says, Hello, Penny. 
Will you tell Mrs. Hall, please, that I'm ready to eat now? Mrs. Hall ain't in, sir. Oh. She got a message to please come quick to a rehearsal of the Junior Follies about two hours ago. Oh, yes, yes, the Junior Follies. She said I was to inform you as soon as you wasn't quite so busy with your book. Thank you, Penny. You've been busy with that book a long time, haven't you, sir? Yes, over three years. Cool, fancy that. Over three years on one book. If I may say so, sir, I read much faster than you do. Uh, Penny, I'm not... The uh... secret is, don't stop to form each word with your lips. Uh, yes, Penny, I... You'll find I'm... it's also a great help if you run your finger along the page under the lines as you go. I'll practice, Penny, thank you. Quite welcome, sir. Any time at all. <clears throat> I'll answer the door, sir. Uh, yes, Penny, do, please. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Is Mrs. Hall in? No, sir, she's not. Ask them in, Penny. Come in, sir. A gentleman to see Mrs. Hall, sir. Oh, good afternoon. I am Dr. Hall. Is there anything I can do? Oh, thanks, Doctor, but uh, I don't think so. Oh, I hope I'm not disturbing you. I should have phoned from the air terminal, but I'm in a terrible rush. Uh, my name's Pinero. Won't you sit down, Mr. Pinero? Oh, thank you. I uh, don't know if Vic has ever mentioned me to you. I'm an old friend. Broker into show business. Oh, yes, of course. You're Artie Pinero. <laughs> the same. Yeah. Well, she's often told me about you and the act you used to do. Pinero and Crumble, wasn't it? That's right, Pinero and Crumble. Those two funny people. Yes. Is that clock right up there? Yes, sir, right up there. How do you get down off an elephant? You don't get down off an elephant, you get down off a duck. <laughs> 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 yes, yes, yes. I've often heard of the supposed difference between English and American humor, Mr. Pinero. Uh, the understatement of one and the exaggeration of the other. But uh, if you were quoting from Pinero and Cromwell, those two funny people... Oh, if you mean that a jam tart smack in the face is not very funny but gets laughed at by everybody, Doctor, I agree with you. <laughs> oh, keep it simple is what I tell everybody on my way to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Govic's husband, I take it, eh? Happily, I am. I was never sure. I've been in Australia till recently. Are you in the business? Uh, the business of what? I mean, are you in show business too? Oh, no, no, no. I'm, uh, I'm the president here. Well, I have been out of touch. Whatever became of Truman? <laughs> <laughs> no, Mr. Pinero, you, uh, you don't understand. I am the, the president of this college, Ivy College. Oh, oh, yes, of course. And Mr. Truman, I believe, is quite well and still in the White House. <laughs> His lease is good through most of 1952. <laughs> well, it's not for me to criticize your customs. <clears throat> How's Vicky? You know, it's been a dog's age since I last saw her. Prettiest kid I ever knew, and the nicest, and the most talented. How is she? Oh, I think she's better than ever, Mr. Pinero. Although I must admit to a slight prejudice in her favor. Uh, and that great sense of timing for a comedy line. Yeah, her timing is, as always, admirable. And is she still, uh... Oh, I know I'm being inquisitive, but I've got a good reason for asking. Is she still, uh... Has she got, uh... Well, I mean, uh... Does she bulge? <laughs> Um, only where bulging is, shall we say, architecturally desirable. <laughs> but there again, I am prejudiced, Mr. Pinero. Uh, may I ask the reason for this uh, research? Well, you see... 
I have something most important to talk over with her. I rather imagine it might be important to me too, Mr. Pinero. Oh, of course it would, but I, I don't know if you'd understand it the way Vicky would. Well, why not try me? Well, you see, Doctor, once you've been mixed up in our business, you're never quite satisfied with anything else. You're never quite as happy as when you had grease paint on your face and were complaining about your lines. Yeah, do, do you think that applies to everyone? Oh, yes, I do, everyone. You feel then that Victoria might be unhappy here at Ivy? Oh, now, wait a minute, Doctor. I didn't say she was unhappy. It's just that she can't help missing the theater any more than you can help missing this library full of books. I'm not at all sure that I agree with you, but, but I do understand your point. Every profession has a magnetism for, the, for its most competent practitioners, which is almost irresistible. But, but why this sudden concern for Victoria's happiness? Oh, forgive me, Doctor, but I, I talk better when I walk around. Well, this is why. I need her. I need her badly. Well, in the question of need, Mr. Pinero, no one needs her as badly as I do, uh, with, if you'll pardon me, a certain priority. I know, I know. But this is show business. Now, I produced a musical review down in Australia in 1946 that's still running to packed houses. I wonder if the quiet of the campus has been deadly for her. My show is called Sydney's Harbour. It was such a hit down there that I brought a company to England last year, and it's still running there. I wonder if all the happiness she's given me has left her with none of her own. Now, my point is, Doctor, next month I'm opening Sydney's Harbour in New York. I've been an idiot, so content with my own luck that I... And I would like Vicky to play the lead. Well, did you hear me, Dr. Hall? Huh? I would like Vicky to play the lead. The lead, yes, yes, of course. The, oh, the lead, naturally. Uh, Mr. Pinero. Yes? Would you mind giving me a few hours on this? I'd like to think about it quite seriously. And then, may I phone you? I know that Victoria will be most anxious to see you. Why, certainly, only I, I don't have too long. Oh, could I drop around again about, say, six? Six, Mr. Pinero. And uh, thank you. Thank me? Whatever for, Dr. Hall? For reminding me of something I had forgotten. Hello, my darling. How did it go? Oh, if there's ever a junior follies at all, I shall be amazed. <laughs> you should have been there this morning. Sets falling down and fuses blowing all over the place. Orchestrations missing, actors going up on their lines. The director tearing his hair and screaming. <laughs> Everyone hysterical with week before opening jitters. <laughs> oh, it was heavenly. Well, it sounds... It sounds quite hellish to me. Uh, begging your pardon. <laughs> You've never been in show business. It was meat and drink to me. Just what the doctor ordered. Vicky, do you find yourself missing the theatre terribly? I mean, do you ever have any regrets? Regrets? Of course not, Toddy. What kind of talk's that? Well, after all, you were at the height of your career when I met you. And the life we lead here, well, it's... So different from the life you've had. Toddy, but... this is the height of my career right now. Every moment of it. I think you sacrificed a great deal. Would you think that you sacrificed what might have been a great political career by marrying an actress? Oh, my dear. Well, you I... remember what that congressman told you? That you might have been a presidential log? Uh, the phrase, my dear, is timber, not log. <laughs> Although in some cases, log is the more descriptive term. 
<laughs> and particularly when you realize that a log is difficult to handle, has a great affinity for a stump, and is most useful when dead. <laughs> but, oh, dear, dear, I'm digressing. No, Vicky, of course I don't regret it. Well, then, there you are. We might each have been something else if we never married. But we did, and we're happy, and that's the essential thing. And you don't ever wish you were back? Oh, Toddy, darling, grease, paint, and fiddles tuning up in the pit will always make my nostrils quiver and my ears twitch. That's why I love coaching these college shows. There's a little harmless smoke that keeps the old fire horse happy. Fire horse, indeed, please. You are speaking of the woman I love. <laughs> but seriously, Vicky, and the women's magazines notwithstanding, marriage is not really a career. In its original meaning, the word career meant a gallop, a gamble, a frisk. Marriage is not a gallop. It's a pleasant amble. It's also a serious partnership and a serious business, life. It can coexist with a career only with the most scrupulous balance of interests. Hey, what are you trying to tell me? Uh, Mr. Pinero is in town. No. Artie? Yes. Where? Whatever is he doing here? Where is he? At the inn. He'll be back here about six. Oh, how wonderful. I'll call him right this minute. I told him you were most anxious to see him. Oh, I am. I can't wait. I... Oh, you told him? Yeah, yes, he was here. Toddy? Yes, my dear? Does he want me to go back to the theater? Suppose you talk to him. Marriage, my darling, is not a career. William, are you trying to get rid of me? Now, now, Vicky, is it, is it? Are you sending me back to the grease paint and footlights? Now, now, now Vicky, I could Have you decided but... that an actress's place is on the stage and never to darken your doors no more? No, no, my darling, you... you oh, I'm out listening. in the snow with my shawl and my baby. darling, I tried to see both sides of the question. Well, I've made my decision. You have? Yes. I'm going. You are? Certainly. With this deafening public clamor in my ears, how can I refuse the call of duty? I'm going. Going? I'm going to phone Artie. He's convinced you that I should go back to the theater. Now he's going to try and convince me. And let me tell you, if it... What's that peculiar look in your eye? Just speculation, my darling. I think I shall meet Mr. Pinero on the front steps with a loaded pistol. I have just invented a new crime, Pinero's side. <laughs> and in court, I can say that everything suddenly went black. And believe me, Vicky, I can think of nothing blacker than the prospect of losing you to a jar of makeup. <laughs> I was curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. An experience like that usually has a story behind it. So before we return to the halls of Ivy, let's hear the story of a new house, the couple who moved into it, and a tour of inspection by their next-door neighbor that stopped almost before it started. I'm the next-door neighbor a fact for which I'm deeply grateful since it led to my first taste of Schlitz beer. But to begin at the beginning, my neighbors had just finished getting their new home in order and wanted me to come over and give the place my approval. I went in through the back door and was led into the stainless steel splendor of a modern kitchen. There, with love in their eyes, my new neighbors showed me the miracle of automatic dishwashing, the efficiency of their new stove, 
and the amazing capacity of their new refrigerator. At that point, the tour of inspection came to an abrupt halt, for the refrigerator was well stocked with Schlitz beer. Somehow, I'd never gotten around to trying Schlitz before, though I'd heard a lot of good things about it. My curiosity must have shown, because my neighbor took out a couple of bottles of Schlitz and poured a glass for me. I drank, and I realized right then and there what I'd been missing. Neighbor, I said, although I've been no farther than your kitchen, I can tell you this. If the rest of your house is in as good taste as the beer you serve, then believe me, you've made a sound investment. No wonder they call Schlitz the beer that made Milwaukee famous. As we rejoin the halls of Ivy, we find Dr. Hall talking to his wife, who's just had a fine offer to return to the theater. Vicky. Yes, dear? You know, quite sincerely, I don't want to stand in the way if you decide to take a sabbatical of your own, if you do think you'd like to get back in harness, as it were. I know how one can become infatuated with one's own profession, even mine, prosaic as it may seem in comparison to footlights and first nights. There are times when I positively thrill to the smell of old books. <laughs> I, I remember we were joking about it once, about inventing a perfume for the wives of faculty members. We were going to call it Essence of Worm-Eaten Volumes. <laughs> You might even call it Eau de Voltaire. <laughs> very good, very good. <laughs> um, but as for your absence for a few weeks disrupting my life, well, I, I shall miss you, of course, but uh, I can manage. Oh, you can, you can. Well, I, I, I mean, after all, I'm not a stereotyped absent-minded professor. Oh, no, I know. You're probably the most present-minded professor there is. Well, thank you, my dear. So... Toddy, now look. I had a wonderful life in the theater, but I have a wonderful life with you here. And I never want anything to change that. Oh, nothing ever will, Victoria, as far as I'm concerned. I can only repeat a phrase Mark Twain placed in the mouth of Adam about Eve. Wherever she is, there is Eden. Excuse me, sir, a young lady's calling. A Miss Keating. Keating? Oh, it's um, Sally Keating, sure, in Penny. Yes, Mum. Sally Keating, that's a familiar name. Yes, she's the lead in the Junior Follies. Oh, I don't yes. know exactly why. They... Well, come on, come on in, Sally. William, you've met Sally Keating, I'm sure. Oh, yes, indeed. Please sit down, Miss Keating. I understand you're the leading lady in the Junior Follies. Oh! <laughs> Good heavens, what did I say? Sally. Now, Sally, what is it? Sally, now tell me. She threw me out of the show. Squippy threw me out of the show. Oh, no. Uh, Squippy? Well, it is. It's Dick Lester, class of 51. He's the director. Give me your handkerchief, William. Now, stop it, Sally. Tell me what happened. Squippy was choking Larry and choking Larry. What's that? You mean throttling him? Larry threw his baton at Squippy first because some of the orchestrations were on fire. On fire? On fire. Did Squippy set a match to them? No. There was a short circuit in the pit before we could put it on. It was really the fall of Bobo. What's a Bobo? She's <laughs> a who, not a what. It's Bobo Cleary. She's the head electrician. Now, now, Sally, stop it now. Now, stop it at once. I'm sure you're not really out of the show. I am. And I don't care. I don't want to be in it. I hate the part. 
I never wanted it in the first place. The songs were dreadful, and the lines that came don't leave me standing there with egg on my face opening night. And I would appear in a production with any of them for all the money in the world. I hate them. <laughs> is, is this what you meant week before opening jitters? That's it. <laughs> oh, dear. Is it always like this? Of course not. This is serene compared to the general run of things. Now, Sally, stop that and listen to me. You're behaving like a child. It's a very good and funny show, and the songs are some of the best I've ever heard. And you'll be fine opening night. You know it as well as I do. Now, I want you to run along home and douse your face with cold water. And then I'll meet you in the auditorium in an hour. Well, all right, Mrs. Hall. But I... I'm scared to death about opening night. Well, good for you. You should be. I always was, too. It, it proves we have emotions. What good is an actress without emotions? Gee, that's right, isn't it? Yeah. Well, keep telling me that, will you, Mrs. Hall? I'll see you in the auditorium. Bye, Dr. Hall. Uh, good, goodbye, Miss Keating. <laughs> Poor, happy child. All upset and enjoying every heart-throbbing dramatic moment of it. Enjoying it? You really mean that? She's enjoying every tear that runs down that pretty face. Yes, I suppose that's right. I've often thought that young people were purposely designed to be intensely emotional, out of all proportion to the moment at hand. Then, in later life, when they meet real problems, their feelings have been tempered to withstand the sharp edge of disaster. Mm. You must have found that out from observation, Toddy, not experience. I can't imagine you being very... Upset emotionally? Oh, my, my equilibrium was fairly good, Vicky, until I met you. You mean I tipped you over? Well, as a matter of strict uh, historical fact, my darling, the full impact of my being uh, tipped over struck me about the third night we had dinner together in that dim-lit little restaurant in Soho. Oh, yeah, I remember. A little French place. Or Armenian, or Greek, or yes. all of them combined, I think. Yes. I had a conviction as I sat there and, and saw the candlelight experimenting with your eyelashes that this was a moment to remember. William, dear, for a visiting American, you do find the most delightful places to take me. Well, thank you, Victoria, but most of them are rather ordinary places which become delightful by reason of your arrival. Oh, with this little restaurant, I never saw it before or even heard of it. Oh, my, my ingenuity has an economic basis. Mm. This place looked quiet, clean, and inexpensive. Uh. You know, I've been prowling around this district quite a bit. Yes, Soho. It is interesting, isn't it? Intensely, the very name. Soho. A fox hunting term, you know. Is it really? Yes, this, this was originally fox hunting country. And Soho was the huntsman's cry to call off the hounds. And later on, when the Edict of Nantes was revoked, this was the refuge of thousands of French Huguenots and others escaping from the French Revolution. Thus, through the centuries, Soho has become London's foreign colony. Thank you. That's all right, darling. The, the bus leaves the Marble Arch at two o'clock. Oh, I should be very happy to be on it. Well, how on earth did you know all this? I've been here all my life, and I never knew these things. Oh, it's nothing. Strangers always know more about a country than the natives. When we get to America... We, we... What did I say? You said, when we get to America, we, you said. I heard you. Distinctly. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I... I had no right to presume that... I, I mean... Oh, forgive me. No. <laughs> you must... My thoughts, my hopes ran away with my tongue. 
sitting here watching your face. And, and I don't think I shall ever want to eat another meal except by candlelight. Victoria. Yes, dear? I think I must be a little mad to, to think as I've been thinking. Here am I, an American professor on his sabbatical with neither fortune nor fame in his pocket. Having the unutterable presumption to hope that a reigning star of the London theater would... Would what? Would... Would, would you care for more coffee? <laughs> Oh, thank you, William. Oh, nothing more to... Well, Vicky. Vicky, darling, you haven't eaten a thing. Look at your plate. Well, look at your own. But what, what? Didn't you like the dinner? Did I choose a bad restaurant? William, dear, how could either of us possibly eat? You've been holding my hand ever since we sat down. I have? Oh, good heavens. Oh, Victoria, I, I, I am sorry. No, no, I'm not. I'm going to do it again on every possible occasion. Do what, sir? Hold your hand like this. Well, thank you, sir. Very kind of you, sir. But don't you think that... William, it's Penny. You're holding Penny's hand. Of course I am. William and Penny, the two happiest people in the world. William and Penny! What am I... Well, what am I... Penny, let go my hand! Yes, sir. Gladly, sir. You're pinching me ring into me fingers, sir. <laughs> I beg your pardon. I... I thought uh, I was... What was it um, you wanted, Penny? Mr. Pinero is here. Uh, Pinero? Oh, oh, yes. Show him in, Penny. Yes, sir. Right away, sir. Off again on one of your little excursions, Toddy? <laughs> yes, I, I guess I was. Was I with you this time? <laughs> oh, you're always with me, my darling. My excursions, as you call them, always call for two tickets, and I always... Mr. Pinero, sir. Artie! Vicky, my duck! <laughs> Won't you sit down, Mr. Pinero? <laughs> Trouble, those two funny people. Right. I, I'm so glad to see you. I could cry. Now try this chair over here, Mr. Pinero. Oh, thank you, Doctor. Well, you're looking great, Vicky. Oh. Well, you haven't changed their hair, so help me. Oh, what you do to them in Sydney's harbor is nobody's business. I've told her part of your plan. You're absolutely made for the part, Vic. Why, you'll be the toast of the town. Yes, Artie, my husband told me what you said about putting your show on in New York. I wasn't able to paint quite such a colorful picture as he did. That's very simple. I need you, pet. Fought it all over a million times, and you're the one, the absolute one. It seems, Vicky, that you are the... Uh, one, wherever you go. Now, name your own terms. Why, this will be the biggest thing that ever hit Broadway. Now, what about it, Vicky? I'm afraid, Artie, it's too late. It, it sounds absolutely lovely, but I'm just too happy here. Uh, Dr. Hall, I appeal to you. You have the understanding of a professional. Oh, you know how I feel about this, Victoria? <laughs> I'll miss you terribly. But if you feel the slightest desire to go back... William. Uh, what, my dear? Nothing on this earth could persuade me to leave you. You see, Artie... No, no. I... Don't go on, Vicky. I know the answer. Hmm. The way you two look at each other tells me more than words. Well, it was worth trying. Oh, yes, Mr. Panero, well worth it. Broadway's losses, Ivy's good fortune, and mine. I'm, I'm sorry, Artie. You were sweet to remember me. Oh, forget it, Vicky. Just thought it would be nice to get together again. Panero and Cromwell. Those two funny people. Tell me, do you know how to make a Venetian blind? Stick your finger in his eye. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, Artie. Applause and exit, Artie Panero. God bless, Vicky. And good luck to you, Doctor. Thank you, thank you, um, Artie. And my sincere sympathy. 
You see, I too know what it means to have a top actress under exclusive contract in a solid hit, with the prospect of a long, long run. Goodbye, Mr. Pinero. Goodbye. Goodbye. Uh, welcome home, Vicky. I've never been away, my darling. Ah, but it must have been tempting. Toddy. Hmm? Have you ever looked down Faculty Row at six o'clock in the evening? Often. Have you ever seen the trees change color while you were watching them? Mm, many times. Have you ever listened to the singing at night on Fraternity Lane? Oh, I've even added my own baritone from outside the windows. And have you ever looked at yourself in the mirror? No, 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 Victoria. <laughs> I like it here, Tolly. I love it. curious. I tasted it. Now I know why Schlitz is the beer that made Milwaukee famous. And uh, now here again are Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. Ladies and gentlemen, when disaster strikes, the Red Cross is there with emergency assistance. Even more important, the Red Cross stays on the scene to help rebuild and to provide medical care. Last year, the Red Cross gave assistance to over 200,000 persons in 330 disaster operations. Your help is needed. The forearms of the Red Cross embrace the entire world. Forearmed is forewarned. Give more than before. Good night. Good night, everybody. That's around us here today, and we will not forget, though we be We'll be seeing you next week at this time at the Halls of Ivy, starring Mr. and Mrs. Ronald Coleman. The other players were Joseph Kearns, Janet Waldo, and Gloria Gordon. Tonight's script was written by Walter Brown Newman and Don Quinn. Our music was composed and conducted by Henry Russell. The Halls of Ivy was created by Don Quinn, directed by Nat Wolf, and presented by the Joseph Schlitz Brewing Company of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Ken Carpenter speaking. people over most of these NBC stations.
And that's The Halls of Ivy, starring Ronald and Benita Coleman from March 10, 1950. Also in the cast, Joseph Kearns, Janet Waldo, and Gloria Gordon, sponsored by Schlitz Beer, as heard over NBC. Stick around, I'll give you our lineup for episode 88 of the Classic Radio Theater after this short break. Next time on episode 88 of the Classic Radio Theater, brought to you by the Bradford Exchange, we'll hear two Western episodes of Gunsmoke starring William Conrad, so don't miss it. To reach me and to learn more about the Classic Radio Club, visit ClassicRadioClub.com. Be sure to tune into our next show and make sure to follow us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts to never miss an episode. Thanks for listening. <laughs>